We're in a series called The Days of Elijah. The prophet Elijah ministered during a spiritually dark period in the nation of Israel. The rulers were wicked and the people mixed the worship of God with paganism. In other words, a lot of them thought they were still worshiping the one true God. They just wanted to worship the Lord and then add idols to it. But God don't share himself with idols. Amen. Come on. Hallelujah. The rulers were wicked and the people were mixing the worship of God with paganism. And we are living in times remarkably similar to the days of Elijah. And if you haven't been with us on this series of we've got our podcast, we're going to put a little QR code up there on the screen. You can just scan that with your phone and you can listen for free and catch up with us. Amen. It's on our website, too, if you need it. You guys can leave that up there for a while. But here in the last seven chapters of 1 Kings, chapter 16 through 22, we've got the seventh king of Israel, and he is the most wicked king today. What's his name? Ahab. And who's his queen? Look at your Bible scholars in the house today. Ahab and Jezebel, 1 Kings 21, verse 25. No one else so completely sold himself to do what was evil in the Lord's sight as Ahab did under the influence of his wife, Jezebel. Israel was a fallen nation. They had completely abandoned the Lord. Under Ahab and Jezebel, they worshiped the pagan gods Baal and Asherah. And you need to know this, okay? Baal and Asherah were a constant temptation to the nation of Israel throughout their history. In fact, I would say that they were the primary temptation to the Israelites to get away from God and follow after them. Deuteronomy 32, 17 says they sacrificed to, what's it say? They sacrificed to demons. And not, this, this verse here tells us what false gods are. They sacrificed to demons, not to God, to gods they did not know, to new gods and new arrivals that your fathers did not fear. The Hebrew word for these pagan gods is the word shadim, and it means evil spirits. In fact, in the Greek, it's translated daimonia, where we get the word demons from. You need to understand that pagan gods, that false gods, are not mythological beings. They are not imaginary, man-made ideas. They are very real. They are evil spirits. And, where, and while they cannot compare to the authority and power of Almighty God, they do hold and exercise spiritual authority over people who follow after them. You need to know this. Nobody is unaffiliated. Jesus said, if you're not with me, you're against me. There is no third option. There is no spiritual Switzerland. There is no demilitarized zone. There is no neutral territory, spiritually speaking. You're under either under the authority of the kingdom of God or you're under the authority of the kingdoms of this world, which the Bible said are controlled by the devil. Ooh, that's the preaching. I thought you were going to 
Say, God bless America. <laughs> Say the Pledge of Allegiance so we can go eat something. No, I came to do business with God this morning. You're either under the kingdom of God or you belong to the kingdoms of this world, which are under the control of the evil one. And Jesus said, the devil only comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He doesn't say that he sometimes comes to kill, steal, and destroy. The devil will entice you and give you pleasure and power and riches, but the whole time he is killing you and stealing from you and destroying the kingdom of God brings life and hope and freedom. But the kingdoms of this world, sin, evil spirits, the ways of this world bring nothing but death, loss, and destruction. And every pagan religion has the same end result. Death, loss, destruction, kill, still destroy. Winston Churchill said this about Islam. Everything it touches turns to desert. Not just physically, culturally, spiritually. Everything Islam touches, it destroys. You look at Mormonism. You look at all of the murder, all of the incest, the killing of their own children. I'm going to tell on my wife. She likes to listen to true crime podcasts. And about eight out of ten of them are Mormons doing sick stuff. I'm telling you, every religion, every pagan religion is ran by the devil. Might look clean on the outside, but it is mean and dirty on the inside. The devil only comes to kill, steal, and destroy. You can build a church and make it pretty and dress up in nice clothes, but the devil is bringing nothing but death and destruction through it. Mm, I said it. I think about the Dalai Lama. It's real popular now among American young adults to be Buddhist. The Dalai Lama is supposed to represent the epitome of Buddhism, and he is a sexual predator, a pervert, sticking his tongue in children's mouths. Uh -huh. You either belong to the kingdom of God or the kingdoms of this world, and the kingdoms of this world all have the same end Result. You say, well, there's people in Christianity who mess up things. The Bible says not everybody who's in Israel is of Israel. You got a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing. In fact, Jesus said you're going to have the wheat and the tares together. What's a tear? It looks just like a wheat, but it doesn't bear any fruit. But there is coming a day. Where Jesus is coming back and he is going to separate the wheat from the tares, the true from the false, the hypocrites from the children of God. Mark my words, it is coming and it is coming soon. So you better know which side you're on, church. Why is idolatry so appealing? Because Israel was constantly tempted and constantly enticed into it. Why is idolatry appealing? Because sin is fun. For a while. The Bible calls it the passing pleasures of sin. Idolatry offers pleasure and it offers prosperity. Baal is the god of prosperity and Asherah is the goddess of pleasure. That's why they were a constant temptation 
to Israel. You see, God gave people guidelines to follow. God said sex is sacred. Sex is a gift for a man and a woman who are married. Hallelujah. You ought to be shouting amen and dancing in the aisles on that one, church. It's a gift from God to marriage. So married people, you ought to do your Christian duty. Go home and shake that Christian booty. Amen. You're the only people on earth that God has sanctioned that physical act. You ought to take advantage of it. Amen. He whom the sun says free is free. Indeed, boom, chicka, wow, wow. Some of y'all make you talk in tongues. Amen. God made man and woman in his image. And he made a plan to keep mankind going. And he called it sex. And he made it fun. Amen. <laughs> Y'all picked a good day to bring your neighbors to church, didn't you? <laughs> I don't know. They might come back next week. Hallelujah. But listen, just like everything else, there's a right way to do it. And a whole lot of wrong ways to do it. Intimacy is God's wedding gift to a husband and wife. And anytime you do anything sexual outside of that, you're defying God. And you're defying his perfect plan for you and for humanity. God says, do it right, you'll be blessed. Do it wrong. There's a curse that comes with that. And this is why idolatry is so appealing because Asherah, that demonic spirit called Asherah says, forget the rules. If it feels good, do it. If she looks good, do it. If he looks good, do it. If they both look good, do it. You deserve it. Whoa. Whoa. You deserve to be happy. quiet in here today. We got some Buddhists in here meditating. I don't know what it is. It is quiet. Asherah says no rules. Just do it. If you feel it, do it. If it feels good, do it. Go for it. And America, more than ever before, has forsaken God to worship Asherah. Mm -hmm. We've sexualized Everything. Everything. You can't even watch a cheeseburger commercial. I mean, what the what? I want to see bacon. I ain't looking for all that. Even little girls today, the way, I'm not going to say the way they dress, the way we dress them. 50 years ago, it would make a hooker blush. What's wrong with our culture? We're sexualizing little children. And we wonder why sexual abuse is skyrocketing. By the way, I'm glad I've got a little boy. 
Because if I had a little girl, she would wear a turtleneck <laughs> and sweatpants. And she would have a chastity belt with a ring security system attached to it. Till she's 45. America's fallen far from God. The United States historically has sent more missionaries to preach the gospel in more places than any nation in the history of the world. More than any other nation in history. Yet today, we're not known for sending the gospel to the ends of the earth. The United States is the number one exporter of pornography. 25% of all the pornography in the world comes out of the United States. More than the other five countries combined. The United States is the number one consumer of sex trafficking globally. If America would repent and get on its knees before God and seek the Lord and turn from its wicked ways, sex trafficking would dry up overnight. My God, we've sexualized everything. Asherah is being exalted in this nation. Mm. Not only are we expecting, exporting pornography, the United States is the number one country globally pushing the LGBTQ agenda. We got a graphic on the screen all last month. Pride flags were being flown at United States embassies. This is our message to the world. America has fallen. God has blessed this nation with preeminence in the world. We have been given a position of unparalleled influence among the nations. God ha God's hand has been on this nation. Why was it America that turned the tide of World War II? We were in a Great Depression. America was broke, busted, and disgusted. But God's blessing on this nation propelled us. To a place of influence in the world. And yet today we're using that very influence that God gave us. To defy the God who blessed us with it. Do you know missionaries are now coming to the United States? From the nations that we used to evangelize? Why? Because they see how lost this nation is. For the first time since they've recorded the records. Less than half of Americans belong to a house of worship. We've gone from a majority Christian nation to a minority Christian nation in just a few short years. When people worship Baal and Asherah, it involved pornography. It involved homosexual and bisexual acts. Temple prostitutes were a common practice in the worship of these pagan gods. The worship for Asherah in particular was led by transgender priests. Are, are you seeing some similarities here? This was 3,000 years ago in the East. But it all sounds a little close to home to me. These transgender priests were men who were surgically altered, who dressed and carried themselves 
as women. You see, transgenderism is not a modern concept. We are not, as a society, advancing and, involve, and evolving into a higher form of culture. We are digressing and devolving into ancient paganism. We just have more advanced methods of doing it today. Another thing that they had in common, the worship of Baal and Asherah, and it's going to get a little more tight before it gets better, but it's going to get better. We're going to talk about some hope before we leave. Don't go to the bathroom just yet. But another thing they had in common was child sacrifice. Psalm 106, 36 says they served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. Again, these are not mythological gods and carvings in stone. These are evil spirits that are active in our culture today. They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. We talked about this in week one. Ahab built an altar to Baal in the temple of Baal. This is a big deal because infants were killed on that altar. This was state-funded abortion in the ancient world. And our nation is worshiping Baal and Asherah again. Sacrificing our infants to the God of prosperity and the goddess of pleasure. And unlike ancient Israel who murdered thousands of infants, we as a nation have murdered 60 million on the pagan altars. We have fallen so far from God and the church in America is a backslidden church. Somebody shared a video with me last year, and I watched in horror. Anybody ever watch something that you just want to throw your phone and then stomp on it and then drive over it and then throw it in the highway and sit there and watch all the traffic in the town just run over it all day and smile? Oh, just me. But this is how angry I got when I saw this video. And you'll understand why when I tell you what happened. Somebody sent me a video, and I watched in horror as Reverend Pastor Jamal Bryant, pastor of New Birth Church, one of the largest churches in Atlanta, a very influential church, one of the largest churches in America, promoted abortion at a baby dedication service. Oh, I got a book that he wrote the forward to, and I burned it. I will not have fellowship with somebody who stands in the pulpit and promotes. Mm -mm. God takes this very seriously. Ezekiel 23, 39. On the very day they sacrificed their children to their idols, they boldly came into my temple to worship. They came in and defiled my house. We've fallen away as a nation. And the problem for Elijah is the same problem for you and me today. Ahab and Jezebel are in charge. They control the culture and the information. They have the power. They have the money. In many cases, they have the pulpits. On the outward appearance, it looks like they're winning and we're facing the same struggle today. So church, what do we do? 
Our nation has fallen. What do we do about it? I'll tell you what we do. We do what Elijah did. Because let me tell you this morning, this thing is not over and God is not done with this generation. I believe that in these last days and in the times that we are living in now, God is wanting to raise up some men and women of God to be Elijah's to this generation. God did it before and he's going to do it again. And there are five things that Elijah did and there are five things that Elijah's do today to change this generation. Are you ready? Number one, we speak the truth. We speak the truth. First Kings 17, 1, Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Elijah, the man of God, the man of prayer, heard from God, and he spoke up and said what God told him to say. If we're going to change this generation, if we're going to make a difference, we've got to speak the truth. Our culture says that truth is relative. It's very popular to say, I'm going to speak my truth, and that's your truth. A lot of evangelists are going out sharing the gospel and people are saying, well, that's your truth. That's not my truth. But Jesus defined truth once for all. Listen, Jesus defined it for us when he was praying for his disciples. John 17, 17, Jesus said, Lord, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Truth is not relative it's not situational. It's not subject to your feelings. It's not subject to cancel culture. Truth is forever established by the word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of the Lord will remain forever. God's word is not an old book. It is eternal truth. You see, old books go out of date, but eternal truth is always true. It's always reliable, and it always has the power to change your life and set you free. And look at this next verse. Jesus prayed this over you and me. Come on, tell your neighbor. Jesus prayed this over us. Oh, come on. Y'all got to help me better than that. Come on, tell somebody. Jesus prayed this over us. John 17, 18, Jesus said, as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. Church, if we don't proclaim the truth, nobody else will. In a world full of lies, if we don't speak up and state the truth, nobody else is going to do it. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. This whole culture is deceived by the father of lies. God has strategically placed you and me where we are to declare the truth so people can be set free. I was telling our, our leadership team this morning, I've faced more attacks since I have started this series than in any other season of my life. My bank accounts have been cleaned out. I've been threatened. The enemy has come after my peace of mind. I've even had so-called progressive theologians speak out against me, claiming that everything I'm saying is false. 
They say, you don't understand progressive theology. Oh, I understand it all right. I'm very aware of progressivism and its unchristian cousin called progressive theology. Yeah, yeah, y'all forget, I went to a liberal university. <laughs> I was a sheep in the wolf shed, okay? I'm familiar with all these concepts, okay? But here's the problem with progressive theology. It filters the Bible through a political lens. In other words, it uses politics to reinterpret what the Bible plainly says. And this is very, very dangerous. In fact, Jesus called it the leaven of Herod. The leaven of the Pharisees is empty religion for the sake of appearances. Oh, look at me. Praise the Lord. I'm so spiritual. I'm so holy. But you're mean as the devil. Taking advantage of people all the time. Oh, I might preach that next week. But the leaven of Herod is putting politics before Jesus. In fact, let's be honest, it's sacrificing Jesus on the altar of politics. Mm -hmm. Here's an example of progressive theology. I'm just going to speak a little truth today. If I go in overtime, you can listen to me on the radio at 100.1 on your way to lunch. <laughs> Reverend Brandon Robertson published a sermon three months ago. And he told the story of when Jesus was in the city of Tyre and he was preaching the kingdom of God and he was healing the sick and a Syrophoenician woman came up to him begging him to heal her daughter. And this is, don't throw a Bible. Okay, put your seatbelt on. This is progressive theology. And he said, because she's a Syrophoenician woman, he said, Jesus said, what, have been, what, what business have, have I given the, the children's bread to the dogs? And this is what he said. Jesus was a bigot and a racist, and he called that woman a racial slur. And he said, but the woman... Because she was an empowered woman, she was a, an ancient feminist, she spoke truth to power, so Jesus repented and gave her what she was asking for. Progressive theology uses politics to reinterpret the Bible. First of all, Jesus was testing this woman's faith. She humbled herself. She didn't speak truth to power. She said, yes, Lord. She humbled herself before him, and she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And what did Jesus say? He didn't say, oh, my bad. He said, this woman has greater faith than all of Israel. Let it be done according to thy faith. Jesus responds to faith. Not only is that interpretation bull hockey. <laughs> if that interpretation were correct, it nullifies the entire gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus was the sinless son of God. 
in him was no sin, no fault, no blemish, no hatred, no racism of any kind. Jesus represents the perfect will of God. That's why he was the sacrifice that takes away the sins of the world. He did not deserve any punishment, but he took it all upon himself. Progressive theology worships politics. Y'all okay? If you're taking notes, I'm still on point number one. If you're taking medicine, it's 1156. Listen, point number one is long, and the other points are real short, so we're going we're gonna to get on, but I, I've got to teach this. If I don't, I'm just going to explode. It's going to take all week to clean me up, okay? Here's another point of progressive theology. Reverend Caleb J. Lines, a homosexual ordained in the Disciples of Christ. I didn't know the Disciples of Christ gone crazy, too. He's ordained to the Disciples of Christ and the United Church of Christ. He said this. He said, drag is holy. I also threw my phone out the window to avoid a lightning strike. Because that flies in the face of a holy God. It completely ignores the truth of God's word. Deuteronomy 22.5. A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all who do so are an abomination. Not to Moses. Not to Old Testament law. To the Lord our God. And it doesn't take Albert Einstein to figure out where the concept of drag originated from. Male prostitution, right? I mean, I don't have to scratch my head all day to figure that one out. It's pretty straightforward. And God is never okay with prostitution or any type of homosexuality. That's why, sir, men can ordain you, but you cannot be ordained by God. And this just triggered all the progressive theologians. And you can write me a hate letter in glitter. I don't care. But guys, it is so plain and so clear in the Bible. We're not talking about minor issues where you can interpret it either way. This is big, bold, basic, fundamental foundations of Christianity. Leviticus 18.22, do not practice homosexuality. Having sex with another man is with a woman. It is a detestable sin. I speak the truth because I can't co-sign onto lies that you believe. Jude 7, this is New Testament. Don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, which were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning. <laughs> Progressive theologians think that Sodom and Gomorrah was either an isolated event or God judged them because they didn't show hospitality. Come on, guys. Come on, they them. This is what the Bible plainly says. If you don't repent, all sexual perversion will be judged. That includes adultery. Mm -hmm. 
Like I said, these are not modern issues. They go back to ancient times. It's a result of sin and rebellion against God. Romans 1.26, this is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. That's ill. And the men, instead of having normal sex relations with women, burned with lust for each other. That's G. Men did shameful things with other men as a result of their sin. They suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. I think the Bible is amazingly, astoundingly clear on this issue. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Why does Paul say that? Because many will be deceived. Many are deceived now. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. But here's the message of hope because the church in Corinth was made up almost entirely of people who came out of these lifestyles. But you can't have it both ways. You can't remain in the lifestyles of sin and put on a Christian t-shirt and think you're all right. Verse 11, and such were some of you. Such were some of us, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. <laughs> Hallelujah. We're here to speak truth. Why? Because sin is still sin and Jesus still saves sinners. Mm -hmm. Here's the problem with progressive and homosexual theologians as they bend and they twist the scriptures to an unbelievable degree to try and fit them to their lifestyle. And it doesn't work. It never works. Okay, for all the Bible benders out there, you cannot manipulate the scriptures to match your way of living. We don't come to God on our terms. We come to him on his terms. We're not being conformed. We're, the word of God is not being conformed to our image. We're being conformed to the image of God. Amen? Amen? But why do people insist on believing false doctrine? Jesus said it right after he said John 3, 16. Come on, we stop at verse 16. We don't read the rest of the chapter. You got to read the whole thing, baby. Verse 19, this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates light, does not come into the light lest his deeds should be exposed. And many of these people are going around saying, Lord, Lord, but Jesus is going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Don't let that be you. Five things that Elijah's do. Number one, we speak the truth. And number two, we come out of the culture. We come out of the culture. And I'm going to stop on point number two and we're going to pray. And I'm going to do three, four, and five. I'm doing right next Sunday. Because I got fire shut up in my bones and I'm telling you, I can't just skip over this. 
but I'm also hungry. <laughs> Amen. Y'all good? Everybody all right? There's an old saying in seminary, okay? The mind can only absorb what the rear end can endure, okay? So I'm not going, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul preached so long a guy fell out of the window and died. I've never killed anybody with a sermon, and I'm not going to start today. But number two is this. We come out of the culture. We come out of the culture. If everybody in the world is coming out, why is the church blending in? First Kings 17, the word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, get away from here. God is still saying that to you and me today. Get away from here. God told Elijah, separate yourself from the people around you. Listen, too many Christians are just as sick as the world because they're just as sinful as the world. Don't think for a minute you can live any which way you want to live and make it to heaven. Mm. But, but my, my mama was saved. My daddy was saved. God ain't got no grandkids. Your mama and your daddy could both be pastors and bishops and apostles. God has no grandkids. You've got to take ownership of your faith and surrender your own life to the lordship of Jesus. The Bible says without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. 2 Corinthians 6.17, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. We cannot make a difference in this world until we live differently than the world. So here's the question, and we're going to pray. Are you influencing the culture around you, or are you the one being influenced by culture? Will you stand this morning as we seek God for a few moments today? Lord, I just thank you, Father, for this word. Lord, I thank you, Father God, for just truth that's being spoken, Lord. I thank you, God, that every heart is open and ears are hearing, Father, and blinders are being removed, Father. Lord, I just thank you, God, for just shaking us up, Father. God, I thank you, Lord, that we all walk out of here, Lord, with more knowledge of what the truth is, Lord. And whenever the enemy comes in like a flood in the world, that we drown that out because we stand on the word of God, Father. Lord, I just thank you, Father, for just giving us a burning desire, Lord, to seek after you today. Lord, I thank you, Father, that you are bringing up some Elijahs in this place. God, that the rule of Jezebel and Ahab is over. That they've been overturned, Father, and that this morning that you are bringing up Elijah's. God, I thank you, Father, that you're bringing up people who are going to speak the truth in love. God, that you're bringing up people who are going to be bold. And they're not going to back down, Father, from what the world is saying. And Lord, I thank you, Father, that today we make the commitment to dig into the word of God, Father. To become more knowledgeable of what you say. Not of what the news says, not of what our friends say, but of what you say, Father.
Lord, we make that commitment today to you, Lord. And right now, Father, we ask that you forgive us. God, forgive us for not being bold. God, forgive us for being quiet. God, forgive us, Lord, of participating in the things that the world is saying is okay. And God, I thank you for your graciousness. Lord, I thank you for your peace. And Lord, I thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, that that forgiveness, it covers it all. And Lord, this morning we humbly come before you, Father. And we repent. And we turn from the things of this world. And we make a new commitment to you, Father. A commitment that is going to rock this world, Father. A commitment of boldness. A commitment to seek you, Father. A commitment of holiness. Lord, I thank you, Father, for just holiness. God, that, us, that it falls upon our hearts, Lord, to get out the things that we need to remove from our life that we know that doesn't need to be there. And God, that we come before you with holiness. God, show us the things that we need to remove. People that we need to remove from our lives, Lord. God, things that we've gotten involved in, God, to give us the wisdom to get out of it and to walk away. And God, I thank you for surrender this morning. God, we surrender our life to you, Lord. Every part of it. Not just Sunday mornings, but every part of our life. God, we surrender and we just give it to you, Father. God, let us act in obedience. When you say speak, we move. When you speak, we move, Father. That we don't just stand still and question, but God, that we trust you. We don't trust what everybody else is saying, but God, this morning we trust you and only you, Father. Because you do not lie. You are the truth and the only truth. And Lord, this morning, I thank you, Father, for deliverance from this world. God, for deliverance from sin. God, I thank you for deliverance from past. God, for mistakes that people have made. God, this morning, I thank you that you are making people new. That you are renewing spirits this morning. That you are renewing minds. That your mercies are covering this morning because they are new every day. God, I thank you, Father, for a fresh anointing and pouring out this morning on your people. That as we seek your face, God, that you are there just waiting on us, Father. And Lord, this morning we ask for more of you, Father. More of your holiness, Father. God, make us holy. Convict us. Let us not become blind and deaf to your conviction, Father. But let us become sensitive to what you're saying and what you're telling us to walk away from. And Lord, we love you. We thank you, Father, for your presence. We thank you for sending your son to die so that we could be free. And Lord, for that love that you've given us, may we show that to other people, Father. May we not be judgmental. May we not accept it. But may we love 
and show people your love, Father. A love that's everlasting, that doesn't run out. May we be the hands and feet of Jesus to those people that need him. And Lord, we thank you for this. And we give you praise, glory, and honor, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. You know what I love about God is that we have all have fallen short of the glory of God. And we make mistakes. We get involved in things we shouldn't be involved in. But the awesome thing about God is that he forgives. He forgives if you've had an abortion. He forgives if you've committed adultery. He loves you if you are addicted. He loves you with an everlasting love if you've been in an LGBTQ lifestyle. He loves you. He died for you. He keeps no record. And I'm so thankful that we serve a God that forgives us. That he forgives us of of everything we do when we fall short. Because we fall short a lot. Every day we fall short. But thankfully, he forgives us. And this morning, I want to give you the opportunity. If you've walked away from God, maybe you had a relationship before, but now you find yourself not where you used to be. You've gotten involved in things that you know you shouldn't be involved in. Or maybe this morning you say, oh, that message, it hit home. I know I shouldn't be doing the things I'm doing. And this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Let him change you just as you are. God doesn't want you to come to him perfect. He wants you just as you are. You don't have to be cleaned up and washed up. He said, come to me. Come to me how you are. And you let me change you. So this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. And to be promised that when you walk out of here, if anything were to happen to you, that you're going to meet your Savior. That you're going to be in heaven and you're going to worship him forever in eternity. Because the alternate to that is burning in hell. And we might think that hell's not real because people want to just... Brush over hell because it's not the fun thing to talk about. But hell is real. And it is hot. And it's not something that you should joke about. Because the Bible says that in the last days, the gates of hell are becoming widened. And that's because people are going to hell more and more. And I love you too much to let you walk out of here. And I give you the opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So this morning, if everyone would repeat after me, dear Jesus, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I believe in you. Save me. Set me free. 
Forgive me of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. And with your help, I will live for you the rest of my life. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.